Welcome to Blitzcast, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt. Welcome back to another episode of Blitzcast. This is your host, Brendan Bolin, joined by my partner, Ed Hunt. How you doing today, my man? Good, man. I'm excited. Oh, I'm excited myself, Ed. It, you know, this, this week 10 of the NFL was... We, we left with more questions than we got answers. This is, this is really kind of the time where you see a lot of the teams start to prove who they are. And we've reached that point where we don't know what these teams are. Now we're, we're entering week 11. I mean, we had the Patriots and the Browns last week. You know, we said that the Browns looked to be in prime position. Even, even with Nick Chubb gone, we thought that they were going to pull it out. Patriots ran all over them. We'll, we'll get into that later. We had Cam Newton coming back. We're going to touch up on that as well. It's just, it's been a very, very, very interesting week to say the least. And it's, I just, I don't know when we're going to reach that point where we know who the clear-cut AFC winner is going to be. Because right now, I can't tell you. And Ed, college football as well. I mean, the, 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 finish, the final four playoff run is going to look a lot different than I thought it was, even from last week. We had the big upset with Oklahoma. I, I don't even know if you could call it a huge upset, because I said that if Oklahoma did not fix their defense this week, Baylor had a legitimate chance to spoil that party. And guess what, Ed? They did that. And you know what, you know what is the crazy thing about this is Oklahoma's defense didn't even necessarily play horrible. It was the one game where I thought Oklahoma's defense, you know, they they did what they could do to an extent, but this was the one time the offense got held under wraps. This was not what we were expecting to see out of this Oklahoma and Baylor matchup, Ed. And I, I really thought this was going to be a game where Caleb Williams, I get he has not started as many seasons or as many games, but this would this could have been his chance to put his name higher up in the Heisman race. And with the performance he had and Rattler getting his his chance to come back in the game, those are out the door. And Oklahoma's playoff chances look to be out of the door as well right now. Ed, what went wrong in this Oklahoma Baylor game? Well, I, I think I think a big problem was is that they weren't really getting that quarterback leadership. You thought when they took Caleb Williams out of the game, okay, you know the way Spencer Rattler showed up in garbage time, uh, you know that he would he he was back and that he would he would you know pick up the slack. Abram Smith had 140 yards rushing, which you know helped control the ball and the outcome of the game for Baylor. Um, you know, so a great performance for him. Caleb Williams was only nine of 18 with two interceptions. Uh, you know, he was a starter. Um, the Sooners were held to 260 yards, which was the worst of the Lincoln Riley era. I mean, which which is impressive for Lincoln Riley, right? Like the fact that your worst your worst offensive performance is 260 yards. But at the same time, I mean, it, you know, kudos to Baylor's defense for stepping up in this game, for running the ball and really playing just a different brand of football than Oklahoma is used to seeing in the Big 12. No, I agree. And you pointed out they held Oklahoma to 260 yards. And like you said, that doesn't sound horrible, right? Like, but the thing is, when you're Oklahoma and you, you have to rely on that super, super strong offense that could put up 35, 40 points a game, you know, you, you're just not going to win football games like that. And you just, you have to give all the, the credit to Baylor's defense this week for holding them in check. I mean, you, you're coming off of a week where you gave up 500 plus, I think it was like 530 yards to TCU. And to be able to come and play against Oklahoma, one of the hottest quarterbacks in, in college football right now, and hold them to 260 yards and get him benched, I mean, that, that's huge for Baylor. That is huge. Uh, I, this is also 
the least amount of scores, uh, points scored by Oklahoma since 2014. So Baylor really, really did damage this game. And, you know, I, I was not expecting this. Like I said, I was expecting this to be a game where Oklahoma's defense was going to find some struggle because, you know, Baylor, Baylor's offense has not been bad this year. It really hasn't. I just, with how hot Caleb Williams has been playing, man, you just don't expect them to get smacked in the mouth like this. Especially, this is this was probably, up until this point, the most important game of the season. And you get smacked around like that. That, that puts it in perspective that, you know, Maybe this Oklahoma team was not dialed in. They're not. Maybe they're not as you know good of a team as I saw them out to be. It's just strange to me that you know, like what 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 did Baylor do differently than everybody else Oklahoma has played? Because I've seen Oklahoma pull themselves out of some serious holes. I mean, go back to the Red River Showdown against Texas. I, that game, I Ed and I, I watched that game with you, and I was telling you. Man, Texas has got this under wraps, and you're like, I don't know about that. I wouldn't say that quite yet. And sure enough, Oklahoma came back to win it. So I just, I can't understand, you know, why I'm going to have to go and watch the game again to see what Baylor did differently, you know, to keep them under wraps. And I honestly think it was, it, they just did all gas, no breaks, all game. And, you know, with the exception of the very last drive of the game, which unfortunately for Caleb Williams was by far the best drive of his game, it was in crap time. It didn't matter. So the defense is obviously playing a prevent. So you just have to give Baylor a standing ovation for how good that defense played for four straight quarters. Yeah, I, I will. I will say one thing that I disagree with what you said is I don't think Oklahoma is necessarily out of it. I think they're a one loss team now, but the rest of the way they have to run the table. I mean, they have to win against Iowa State. They have to beat Oklahoma State. They have to beat whoever they face in the Big 12 championship. So the, the rest of the way they have to run the table for sure. Yeah, but, and 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 there there is no guarantee that they get into the playoffs. But you're right, you're right. I mean, this is this 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 totally changes the story of the Big Twelve, and this puts into question whether Oklahoma is going to win this year. Yep, absolutely, Ed. And you know, the the only reason I say this really really diminishes their chances, and you know, mathematically they are not out by any means. But prior to this last week, you could have put yourself in a position. You know, you're undefeated. You have a lot more value as an undefeated team. You know, that loss is going to hurt Oklahoma. And it was just a big, it was a big opportunity. Now you have to rely on other teams to lose a game or have a very, very bad performance against maybe not great teams. So it's just, you're relying on other factors that are out of your control at this point if you're Oklahoma. And I guess you were to some extent earlier, but now you have to win out and you have to win out big. And even with the Big 12, OU, they they still have a chance to be Big Twelve champions, but it's it's there's a serious chance. I mean, what do you think of Oklahoma State coming in and taking it? I I would say Mike Gundy's team, you know, always plays Oklahoma tough. Um, it's the last game of the year. It's a rivalry game. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I I it's a coin flip right now. I mean, it's an even game. I mean, it's not it's not in you know it's not a, it's not a guarantee for the Oklahoma Sooners. Absolutely, Ed. Now, I want to ask you one more question about this game. Uh, I don't know if you watched it up to the very end. Baylor, they had that field goal fiasco at the end where, you know, people started to rush the field. They All the players started to leave. They thought the game was over. But, you know, with, with how close this Big 12 is, those three points could be the tiebreaker. So, in my opinion... I get it. I know a lot of, I mean, Riley hated it. He said there's still a code of sportsmanship that you have to uphold. But though, if you're, if you're serious about, about winning the big 12 and you want to take everything into consideration, 
I get it. It was a mess, and it was a fiasco to try to get three more points, but um, are you against them trying to do that for a tiebreaker if, if needed in the future? Well, I, I know that I know that story. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that it, they have every right to run up the score if they want to in a college football playoff situation. I mean, it is it is a tournament, right? Like, I mean, if you were doing that in the NFL, where really you know the score doesn't matter, it just wins and losses matter. I I, I would be kind of insulted, but you know, college college football is a little different. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that you know if you go if you if you beat a team handily. Um, you know, it, 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 it has a different weight with the committee, with your ability to make the playoffs. And so I, 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 I don't, I don't fault, I don't fault the team for, for doing that. Um, it, 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 it would be, it would be different in a different tournament context, but I'm okay with it at the college football level. No, absolutely. And I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, unfortunately this week, Caleb Williams Heisman race may have, you know, come to an end even if it was a long shot but there's some guys this, this is a wide open Heisman race this year Ed and I think it comes down to three maybe four guys but there's three guys that I really see having a shot and you know if you're really if you're really being logistic I think it's two and Ed I want to know who who are your Heisman favorites right now well I'd say Shroud is there Bryce Young is there Kenneth Walker's there and uh, Matt Corral. I mean, if you're, if you're going to invite four guys, um, those are the four guys I invite. No, absolutely. My, I mean, my list is the exact same. Um, and being being a uh, you know a Cleveland fan, I I'm always rooting for Ohio State. So I want to say I, I I really think C.J. Stroud can pull kind of pull away um, in this back half of the season or like with these last few games. Um, he's just, he's gotten steadily better each game. And I, I get, it's hard to, you know, consistently put up these five touchdown games, but I mean, he did it against Purdue last week and Purdue was coming off of a huge win, a huge win. And he had a phenomenal game, 31 of 38. Like, I think it was five touchdowns again. He's just such an efficient passer. He's really just smart with the football. And I get, he has a lot of help with his incredibly, incredibly, incredibly talented receiving core. I mean, Garrett Wilson had the game of his life last week against uh, Purdue. But to an extent, you almost have to think that this guy is helping put these receivers in this grid of a situation. I get these guys are playmakers, but um, C.J. Stroud, I think, really does elevate this offense. I, I definitely think he's there. And, I mean, when you talk about Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud and when you compare them, they're they're relatively in the same spot as far as total passing yards. No, absolutely. They they have incredibly, incredibly similar stats, actually. They're literally about 20 yards off of passing yards, I think. One has two or three more touchdowns, and one has two less picks. And I think the the statistical edge goes to Bryce uh, Bryce Young just slightly, though. You know, and I don't, I don't want to discredit uh, Bryce Young at all, because he, he kind of, in a, in a way, reminds me of how he commands that offense, as C.J. Stroud does. I mean, he's just so efficient passing the ball. He's just he's he's good statistically. He's good on film. It's it's hard. And at, honestly, we know how much they love Alabama. And if 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 Bama runs the table, Ed, and finds themselves, you know, playing uh, potentially beating Georgia in the SEC championship, I think there's zero chance that this Heisman goes to anybody else. And I think it is, you know, I. I think it's an even race, but just with how you know Alabama's never had a quarterback win win it and. It's this close of a race. I think right now it's his award to lose. It is. It really is. Um, you have to dominate these next few games. And 
you know, he he just had a awesome week. He was able to pad some stats against some lower tier opponents. But the thing is, he has great stats. You know, there was that Texas A&M game where he really didn't even play bad. He It was not his best game, but he didn't play bad. So right now, I do, I think it's bet- really between CJ Stroud and Bryce Young. But at the end of the day, it's Bryce Young's award to lose. To be honest with you, I almost think there has to be kind of a failure on the quarterback's part for a running back to win. And so I think that's what kind of keeps Kenneth Walker out of the, you know, I, th- I think maybe he's in the room and I think, you know, ceremonially you bring him into the room, you, you know, you, you, you serve, you serve it up and, you know, put him right in the conversation. But I think ultimately, uh, you know, the guy making the speech at the end is probably not going to be him. Um, and, and, and Matt Corral, I mean, you know, he's had a great year and I, I think really the award he's, I mean, he's the guy who's, you know, going to go to the NFL. And, you know, a lot of people right now have him as their number one quarterback in the draft, right? Like, um, you know, he's proven himself. Um, you know, he was he was good before, but I, I think, you know, he's shown that he's, you know, a dual threat quarterback, a guy who can, um, you know, lead a team. Um, you know, he definitely can sit back in the pocket, which is, you know, what these NFL teams like. I don't I don't know if necessarily he wins the award. I mean, especially Ole Miss. I mean, Ole Miss is a little overshadowed by a lot of great teams, including Alabama, Ohio State, you know, these these big blue blood programs. And they're they're kind of that second tier, right? So, I mean, as is an SEC school, they're they're good. And I I think really it's just the fact that he plays at Ole Miss is probably the reason why he doesn't win this award. No, absolutely. And uh, like you said, Matt Corral, honestly, might be my favorite NFL prospect. Uh, he just he, he gives you the feeling that he can compete on the next level. And like you said, he, he has a legitimate dual threat ability. He has over 500 rush yards this year and like 10 rushing touchdowns. So that is very, very valued in, in today's NFL. And especially if you could be a guy that sits there in the pocket and can deliver. I mean, 17 touchdowns, two interceptions is a dang good ratio. And if you can pair that with 500 rushing yards, that is super intriguing. But like you said, He's just not in a big enough program to win it, and it's you know that's unfortunate for him because he's he's done everything that he can to to be you know in the race for this, and you know I think I think being in the race for this is and it's it's enough for Matt Corral. I I think he understands that you know I don't play for Alabama, I don't play for this. I'm gonna have to defy every odd in the book for me to win this. So I think I think Matt Corral's name being thrown around and mentioned still is giving him his respect, and you know even though he's not gonna win it, I, I'm a big fan of Matt Corral and. You can't not put Kenneth Walker in this. I get he's a running back, and he doesn't hold as much, you know, positional value as as all these quarterbacks. But dude, Kenneth Walker is—I mean, he's just hands down one of the best football players in college football. Seventeen touchdowns, six and a half yards per carry, seventeen hundred rushing yards. I don't have to say more than that. I mean, he's he's performance over Michigan was legendary. That five touchdown game, and he's he's the best. He's the most valuable team or most valuable player to that team. I don't think there's many skill position players that are more valuable to their organization than Kenneth Walker is to Michigan State. So, But like you said, Ed, that's going to be guys that are in the room. You know they're not going to get the award just because of their position or where they're at. The other guys are absolutely deserving of it, though. But, Ed, we know there's a place that does not have any Heisman candidates, and that's Texas. Ed, what is going on with Texas? They started off this season 4-1. and one. They were off to a hot start. After after they kind of blew that uh, Red River showdown to Oklahoma, we saw it kind of starting to trickle down, and they were losing 
every game. I mean, what what what's going on with Texas right now, Ed? Well, I, I think I think right now, I mean, a big problem is that Bijan Robinson is going to be out for the season with an elbow injury, so the prospects don't look good. Um, the fact that they're two and five in the Big Twelve is a total embarrassment for a team like Texas. Um, losing to Kansas was a big embarrassment. I I think one of the things is, is that this is this is a new program and a new coach and so forth and um i know i know some people say well you know should 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 sarkeesian be one and done right like is it is it one one and done and i just think i mean a team like texas i mean we saw what they did with tom herman where you know it just it sunk a little bit and they just said all right throw the baby out with the bathwater." and i just i just see these these coaches getting fired so much you know these these coaches getting fired so easily at the college football level and the paying them you know the guaranteed money and so forth and it's like at some point like if you're Texas I mean you're getting into the SEC you're getting you know opportunities um, you know the fact of the matter is is that for so long Texas was te- the Texas school to go to right like if you were a Texas recruit you went to Texas right and that's how they were you know one of the prime you know, highest grossing organizations in college football. One of the problems was is that, you know, Texas A&M got into the SEC before they did. And so, I mean, guys wanted to play in the SEC because they, they wanted to play with the best, but they also wanted to play, you know, against the best. And, you know, they wanted to show NFL scouts. Because, right, because everyone who plays college football wants to go to the NFL, right? Like, I mean, there are some guys who don't, but like, for the most part, but for the most part, their plan is to, to try to make it, you know, you, you play college football, you take the hit so that you can, you know, get a scholarship, go to school, but really, so, so you got a shot at the NFL, right? Like, that's why you play major college, for, you know, Texas A&M has had that advantage, but I think, I think things are in the, in the next two to five years are going to get better for Texas as far as recruiting. I think this is a situation where Texas needs to go through the growing pains. They need to trust the process. And I think Sarkeesian could get them out. Ed, I think you nailed it on the hammer, quite honestly. Um, this is, they're at a rebuilding point, honestly. They're, they're at a rebuilding point for a college organization. That's, there's not a light way to put it. This team, this roster is not great. It's just not. They don't have a single All-Big 12 player on either side of the line. So, Ed, you and I, we love our trench boys. We know how important winning in the trenches is if you want to win football games. And you don't have a single Big 12 player on your offensive line and or defensive line. It's it's just, there's literally no pass rush when you watch Texas. It's, it's really, it's tough to watch sometimes. And that's why you have all these super high-scoring shootout games a lot of the time. And, you know, Casey Thompson... He hasn't been horrible in the losses, but he's proven that he's not necessarily a guy that's going to take over and win the game for you. They just they they have not looked confident in the way they're playing. And you know your star running back, B. John Robinson, unfortunately will be out the rest of the year. But you know you weren't you didn't get over a hundred yards in the last three losses. So it's it's just it's just an execution thing. It's a roster problem. Everybody that wants to bail on Steve Sarkeesian already. Give the, give them a break, okay? You said, like you said, they they give these guys a year and they kick them out. It's just hard, and it's it's not easy to recruit people, especially like you said. Once people want to start going to these teams that give them the best shot to be successful in life, you know, with where Texas is at right now, they don't have the same you know recruiting level that they 
once had. They didn't get anybody big in the transfer portal this year. So you just this is one that you're going to have to kind of see unfold. And I know Texas fans don't want to wait for that, but it's just simply something that's going to take take a couple of years. And one thing that I've noticed with, you know, just watching Texas, they don't know how to hold on to a lead. They've blown three double-digit leads this season. So could you imagine? I mean, if they if they pull those games out, we're not we're probably not even talking about this right now, Ed. If if this Texas team knows how to just finish games and all gas, no breaks, it's it's the complete opposite of what we were talking about earlier. Like they just it's the opposite of how Baylor played this week. Baylor didn't slow down. They went for it. They went for it. They didn't stop attacking on defense. Texas lets up. They play conservative once they have these leads. And we j- we saw it. it. The start of it was the Oklahoma Red River showdown. It just, they don't know how to hold these leads. They don't know how to close games out. And I just don't, I don't even necessarily think right now they have the talent to do so. They, they're an easier team to figure out than you'd like them to be. They can't just beat you physically. So I, I really just think that this Texas team has a lot of disadvantages on paper. I, just, I tend to agree with you. I mean, they're coming off losing their quarterback, uh, Sam Ellinger. Um, you know, obviously Bijan Robinson, you know, uh, losing him for the year. I mean, losing your running back, you're losing your bell cow. I mean, those are those are things that make it hard to win. But at the same time, I mean, there's definitely some criticism. I mean, when you're the Texas Longhorns, you're supposed to beat the Kansas Jayhawks, right? Like the Kansas Jayhawks. Absolutely. Like, like you're... <laughs> Like I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that the the resources and the, you know, the recruiting and the talent and the the caliber of players. I mean, both both are recruiting from Texas, but you know, kids want to go to Austin. They don't want to go to Lawrence. Like the, Lawrence is a nice town, but it's not it's not Austin, right? So you know that the, the, these Texas kids should be winning that game. And so yeah, I I would say I would say from a motivational standpoint. Sarkeesian needs to light a fire under them. Um, they need to sh- finish up well into the season, uh, you know, get to a bowl game, get that bowl win, and, uh, you know, get some momentum going into next year and keep rebuilding and, you know, eventually uh, get get a recruiting pipeline going, start to win these Texas prospects. No, absolutely, Ed. And I think it really it comes down to the start of it. It comes down to the recruitment and you know, getting a new coach, it, there's a whole new system that goes into recruiting these players. So give it time to form. Texas fans, I'm hoping for you that it'll all get figured out soon enough. Ed, why don't we switch things up a little bit? I wanted to bring some fresh air into this podcast. And uh, why don't you bring on our first and only guest of this show, Jeff Young, and go over a little baseball postseason wrap-up. We've got Jeff Young on the show to do our baseball segment. How are you doing today, Jeff? I'm doing well, Ed. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. How are you doing today? Pretty good, pretty good. So let's get to it. What do you think went, was the key to the Braves' success in 2021? Uh, I think in 2021, uh, the Braves were dealt with a lot of adversity, and they, they didn't necessarily give up in the sense that uh, after Ronald Acuna Jr., I mean, he's their star player, after he, he got injured, it would have been easy for them to say, hey, he's, you know, our, our, our season – hinges on him being healthy and, and they could have easily have given up. But at the trade deadline, if you look at the moves that they made, um, they weren't necessarily the win the trade deadline type of moves. They acquired Adam Duvall, um, Jorge Soler, uh, Jock Peterson and Eddie Rosario. But they, th- those were the moves that really helped them fortify the outfield going forward. And, and um, you know, those were the players that, that 
had some really clutch moments in the playoffs for them. So I, I think the key for the Braves' success was how how they approached the the trade deadline and really rebuilt the the outfield on the fly without having to give up significant prospect capital because most of the guys they brought in were not necessarily high profile guys. Um, and they, they didn't, they didn't have to trade a ton in terms of, uh, you know, future prospect capital. What went wrong for the Astros in the world series? You know, I think, uh, it, it, if you look at the Astros on paper compared to the Braves, I think the, the Astros had the better roster, you know, in, in baseball at times, and it, it's not necessarily like that in in football and in the NBA. But but the the baseball postseason is kind of a crapshoot in the sense that it's not necessarily the best team that wins, but it's the the team that that's the hottest that goes that going into the playoffs that, that tends to do the best. And I think it's not that the Astros did anything wrong. I think they just uh, you know faced a team who had a lot of confidence going into their World Series and the Braves, given that they. Uh, knocked off both the, the Milwaukee Brewers and the Los Angeles Dodgers, and both of the teams they beat to get to the World Series were expected to be in the World Series. So I think they, um, you know, the, the Braves just had a lot of confidence going into the play, going into the World Series, and the Astros just uh, kind of caught them at the wrong time. Where can the Red Sox improve? I think the Red Sox and the Giants are going to be in a similar position in that they're both going to be looking for hope and rebuilding the starting rotation. Uh, looking at the Red Sox 2021 stats, it looks like Nate Iavoli is still the anchor of the rotation, uh, but there's a lot of work that they need to do outside of him, um, and it looks like they probably need some help uh, in the bullpen as well. Uh, looking at their lineup, they they seem pretty set with the guys that they have, um, and, I mean, they, they really have a lot of good position players. Uh, so the 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 lineup core is pretty much set. So they just really need to rebuild the rotation. So I I expect that the Red Sox and the Giants are going to be they're going to cast a wide net. I, I'd expect they they both have a lot of money to spend. Um, they're you know they play in big markets and the the expectation is that they're going to compete. So I think the rotation is probably where the Red Sox are going to look to uh, make the biggest impact this offseason. Whether that's through free agency or um, through uh, through trades. Who's going to be the key players in free agency? I think the key po- uh, players right now are going to be, um, and, and they're they're going to be more than I mentioned. But I think Chris Bryant and Marcus Simeon and uh, Max Scherzer, Marcus Stroman, are just a couple of names who are the players who are kind of at the top of the free agent market. Um. But I wouldn't necessarily expect those guys to sign right away, especially given where the, uh, w- with what we've heard regarding the collective bargaining agreement uh, talks. And it seems like there's going to be some delay in free agency, um, given that the CBA expires uh, at the end of this month. Um, so I-, I think the top of the market is going to be Bryant, Simeon, Scherzer, and Strowman, and then you could even throw, I mean, of course, there's Freddie Freeman as well. Um, and then you can throw Kevin Gosman in there as well. Um, so I think those are going to be the, the key players to watch as the offseason progresses. Why can't the Yankees convert talents to success lately? I think some of it has to do with, with their drafting. I mean, if you look at who they've drafted, I, I mean, if we if we go back in time to the late 90s and look at the you know, core of the, the Yankees 
roster, I mean, it was built on guys like Andy Pettit, Mariano Rivera, Derek Jeter, guys that they drafted and uh, developed through the system. But if you look at their drafting over the past 20 years, outside of Aaron Judge, uh, they they really have missed a lot in the first round. Um, you know, it's it's there. There are so many. Yeah, it's just you, you look at who they've drafted over the past 20 years, and it's, you know, Ian Kennedy, Jabra Chamberlain, Phil Hughes. Those might be the next best three options outside of uh, Aaron Judge. So I think, you know, I think that's a big part of why they've uh, struggled to develop talent recently. Also, I think they, they don't necessarily have the right talent uh, to develop. I mean, they, they've they've – you know, they, they have a few guys like uh, Clint Frazier and Miguel Andohar and Gleyber Torres and, and, and uh, Gary Sanchez. And uh, each of those guys offers uh, some upside, but they all kind of have wrinkles to their skills that, that I think that limits what their overall value is going to be. Um, so I, I, think it's, I, I think it starts with the draft for why they haven't been able to convert talent into uh, success. Talk about Shohei Otani and what he means to the game. I mean, Otani is is probably one of the most unique athletes we've ever seen, right? I mean, he's <laughs> in baseball. You just don't see a guy who can perform on with with at the plates and on the pitching mound quite like he is. So I think he's, you know, he's there. There's there's there are some players who think that they're two-way players and they're, they're continuing to uh, try that avenue out. But Otani is so unique in that he's so young and, and so developed in both facets of the game. Um, he, I mean, he, he's just so unique. It's hard to really just try to try to verbalize exactly what he means to baseball, but he, he's just, he's, he's kind of the next uh, generation of baseball, you know, the past decade or so we've been, We've been focusing on guys like Buster Posey, Bryce Harper, and Mike Trout, and I think Otani is kind of the next wave of big players like uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Um, to to kind of lead baseball into this uh, next decade. Is baseball dying? That's a common narrative I hear. Uh, yeah, <laughs> there's. A, I mean, it's it. If you ask people, it's probably been dying for uh, 50 years. So it's it's if it is dying, it's a slow death. Um, I I don't know if it's necessarily dying, but I think there are things that they can do to improve the um, the entertainment value. And, and um, I know you're you're very much involved in football. And the the thing that that kind of bugs me about the the baseball off season is how slow it moves. Uh, in football, as I understand it, and I know it's like this in in, in basketball. Uh, the off season takes place in like two or three days, right? I mean, there's the signing period opens and all the key players signed within a couple of days in baseball. There's a little more gamesmanship that goes on where, where contract negotiations can, can really drag on for months at a time. And it happens every off season. It's one of those things I, I would love to see them figure out a way to clean up um, the off season so that it moves a little more quicker. And it has, you know, that, that, excitement it just it's one of those things that somebody signs people get excited and then you forget about it but it's it with the nfl and nba it's it's all at once and it's like it, it's one of those things that i think makes the game uh exciting to follow um so i i don't know if baseball's dying i know they're trying to tweak ways to kind of improve the entertainment value 
by speeding up the pace of the game. Um, I, I don't know if that's the right way to go about it, but there are other tweaks that they can make, um, especially as it pertains to, you know, kind of how the offseason um, progresses that, that I think would help. And also in uh, marketing, you know, their, their, their own players. I mean, like Shoei Otani is, is the perfect example. I mean, how many people know how incredible of a baseball player he is outside of baseball fans? I mean, he should be, uh, I, I, he should be one of those guys who's marketed everywhere. So it seems like the older generations, you know, the boomer generation seem to be more engaged with baseball. How do we get the millennial generation engaged with baseball? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good question. I think uh, just touching on, on my, my, my idea about tweaking the off season a little bit would help um, really getting, getting, um, you know, you know, everyone's on social media right now, especially in millennials. I think, Finding a way to market uh, baseball players through social media a little better than the baseball currently does. I mean, one of the things that 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 frustrates me um, with with baseball and how it goes about its business is like, I think it was I think it was um, what was it last Sunday when they announced the the Gold Glove winners or Silver Slugger winners? Like, they, there's just you know there there are these huge awards that are be hand, being handed out and like no one knows when it's happening and when it does happen it happens at like a like not not a great time to announce awards because there's something like football or basketball going on so I I think they they just you know baseball really needs to figure out how it it markets its players better and it, it starts with things like the the awards that are handed out every year and, and doing it at a time that makes sense and that people are aware of because these awards are just handed out and, and no one even knew that it was about to happen. Um, so I, I think just marketing the the um, achievements, marketing the players better, um, and, and doing it through social media is probably, probably the best way to get uh, millennials more involved. Jeff, how can we find your work? Um, I am the site expert at a website for fansided. It's called Around the Foghorn. That's around. I'm not going to spell it out. <laughs> it, uh, it's, it's exactly how it sounds. Um, I write for them every day. Uh, it's specifically about the Giants, and um, yeah, I've been uh, I've been writing it Around the Foghorn for about four years now, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 a passion of mine to to write and write about the Giants and. And, uh, yeah, you know, I love it. So hopefully, um, if somebody's listening, go, uh, go check out, you know, what I've been working on recently, um, in regards to things that the Giants have been doing. Jeff, thanks for being on the show. Cool. Thanks for having me on the show. I very much appreciate it. It was great to, great to chat and hopefully we can do it again soon. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining the show, Jeff Young. Uh, it was a great time and, uh, thanks for, thanks for bringing a little bit of a refresher for us and kind of kind of giving us a little bit of a different feel, bringing some baseball to the football world. And I appreciate it, my friend. Let's, let's, uh, let's hop over into the NFL. We've been talking about all the crazy NCAA stuff going on, Heisman race. This has been quite an eventful week. And unfortunately, you know, this is, this is not something I wish I had to cover this week. And, you know, just being a fan of the game, you hate to see stuff like this. But unfortunately, um, Washington football team's edge rusher Chase Young tore his ACL and is going to be out for the rest of the season. And Chase Young, I, I'm hoping for a super speedy recovery, and I hope he has a fantastic comeback. You know, he, I, it's a, somebody that works super hard, great human being. So 
pulling for Chase Young recovery. But Ed, what does this mean for Washington? I will say Chase Young has not been the dominant player he was his rookie year, and he has not necessarily been what you really wanted him to be this year. So how does this affect Washington right now? I mean, I would say he's a top five edge rusher in the league. I mean, I think I think the if, if there's one thing that this Washington football team does is they get a push at the line and they they can hold the line of scrimmage and and that's both sides of the ball. I mean, I I think I, I've 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 liked for a few years the way they play at the line of scrimmage and I, I include Chase Young in that. I I think really the problem with this Washington football team is the back seven, you know, the quarterback position, so forth like that and. You know, I mean, there could be some good that comes for this from the Washington football team. I mean, they're probably not a playoff-bound team, or they're not looking to go deep in the playoffs. And frankly, I mean, they need they need a quarterback. They need to draft a quarterback. And so, um, you know, maybe losing a guy like like him, uh, you know, Chase Young, I mean, would be an opportunity to uh, draft a quarterback and get a quarterback high. I'm not. I, I. I don't. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not. I'm not necessarily for the like. T- you know, tank for Tua or, you know, tank for, tank for Matt Corral. You know, <laughs> I'm not usually for that. I mean, I think. I think you know that your job as a football team is to win football games and you win as many games as you can and so forth. But, um, I think this might be sort of a good omen in the sense that. Uh, you know, this could this could get them a higher draft pick and get them in position to draft the right quarterback because, frankly, they need another chance after Dwayne Haskins. Oh, absolutely. And I w- this is one thing that I have to disagree with you, Ed. Uh, you said Chase Young's a top five edge rusher. I think he has the potential and has all the physical tools and he's equipped with all of them to be a top five edge rusher. As of right now, though, for what I've seen out of him this year, I, I couldn't even put him in my top 10 personally. I mean, 1.5 sacks and three tackles for a loss is, that's kind of numbers you get from a rotational guy. So, and, but the thing is, I don't want to, I don't want to hold these numbers against him because I know how dominant he was his, his rookie year. I mean, he had seven and a half sacks while missing a game or two. It was a very productive rookie year, but you know, watching Chase Young this year, he does not have the He's, it's it's a problem that a lot of you know high tier rookie or young edge rushers have is developing their bag of tricks, getting out of different situations that you're in with a tackle just based off angles and stuff. And you know he doesn't necessarily have the bag of tricks that a guy like Miles Garrett or T.J. Watt does. And you know obviously that's going to come with time. That's not something that you you know just learn. And I think that you know he was just so used to being able to overpower a guy with just his sheer physical presence in college and. You know, even his rookie year, it was kind of intimidating to some people, I bet. But now they've they've seen what he is, and you know he's going up against full grown men too. So I, hopefully this you know this injury is fast, and he gets or this injury heals very fast, and he's able to get back on that field and kind of develop a new bag of tricks. And um, what you were saying, Ed, about how you know how this sets you up for the draft. I mean, yeah, Heineke, he had a great win for you last week against Tampa Bay, but. Uh, I agree with you. I don't think he's the long-term answer. I think he's a very talented quarterback that deserves a starting job in the NFL. I really do, but I think Washington's roster is just too talented for how many games they've lost this year, and I, I truly believe that. I would really love to see Washington go out and you know maybe try to get that Matt Corral, but like you said, there's no need to tank. Like you just proved, you just proved that you can win football games. You're a legitimate team that can win games, and 
I don't know what it is with the other losses, but you just beat Tom Brady. And, you know, Taylor Heineke almost did it in his first start ever in the playoffs last year against Brady. So he needed to get his revenge this week. So we don't know how Heineke's going to look next week. I would love to see some consistency just for everybody in Washington. You know, the only person I can see consistently playing in Washington is scary Terry McLaurin. I mean, I will die on a hill saying that that guy is one of the most talented receivers in football. But there's just there's too much talent to not see this consistency. So I would love to see them, yeah, Ed, draft a, draft a young leader at quarterback. You know, I, I really do like Matt Corral. I like how he commands his teammates, and I would like to see something like that. But Ed, I wanted to uh, ask you, they, Washington really does pride themselves on having a dominant defensive line. And, you know, losing a guy like Chase Young it hurts, you know, even even if I was saying the production's not there, that physical presence it is now gone and that hurts. Are you at the point where are you just going to rock with your backup and plug him in there? Or I, I personally, I was looking around and there is a few free agents that I think that they could pick up for really cheap that might give them, you know, similar production to what Chase Young was giving. Uh, Ed, I wanted, uh, before I tell you these players, do you think Washington should go out and get a, you know, a cheap free agent to just replace him for the for the rest of the season, the what, 7 weeks we have left? I don't think they're in win now mode. You know what I mean? I just don't I just I mean, you know, it kind of like in baseball when you say uh the trade deadline would they be buyers or sellers? I don't think they're buyers right now. I I totally get that. I don't think you know, it come to a trade. I don't think they're a team that's you know, in a position to give up any picks or any players to get something. But now you lose the guy that's supposed to be your star. You know, Chase Young's supposed to be the star. I really think it wouldn't benefit you to, like you said, you're not you're not a team that's going to want to sit back and just eat all these losses, you know, like to just get a good draft pick. I still think regardless, you try and win football games no matter what position you're in. I mean, a lot of people were high on Washington this year, and to, to finish the season out how they look to be, it, it's just embarrassing. So uh, I honestly, I would like to see them go out and get a free agent. And one guy that I thought of instantly once I heard Chase Young went down is Olivier Vernon. I honestly think that's your best bet. He's cheap. He, you know, he was cut, the last time he played football, he was playing some of the best football he's played in years. Unfortunately, he's the reason he was not on a team is because he got injured while he was playing for the Cleveland Browns. You know that that I believe it was a five-game stretch, and he had eight sacks in those five games. So um, unfortunately, like I said, he had an injury, and that's why the Browns didn't end up re-signing him, and he you know didn't get picked up through free agency because he was recovering. You know that injury is about a year ago. You have a healthy Olivier Vernon. And I'm willing to bet my life that that dude's willing to sign a very team-friendly contract, and that's somebody that can give you production. I think, like like I said, Chase Young has 1.5 sacks in 10 weeks. I think Olivier Vernon could get you that, if not more, in the seven weeks for very cheap, for a very affordable price. And like I said, you don't sit back and take these losses. You're still trying to win football games. You just prove that you can. If you're If you're sitting back and eating these losses... You don't go out and try to beat Tampa Bay. You, you you would have sat back and, you know, pinned your tail back, pinned your tail between your legs. And it's, they didn't do that. They're trying to win games still. So I think, hands down, go and get Olivier Vernon. So I'm, I'm going to play a devil's advocate with myself, not with you, in the sense that, uh, you know, I could say, well, you know, you're, they're not out of the playoff hunt. And, um, you know, you, you go and get you go and get that replacement. You try to you try to salvage the season and you try to make a playoff run. I mean, that's the point of football. I understand that. I understand the move and so forth. Uh, I just, 
to be honest with you, it's like all of a sudden if you make the playoffs, then you're picking in the 18s or the 20s or so forth, and then all of a sudden it's like uh, you don't get you don't get your guy. Um, the, the, the other a devil's advocate you could say is, well, I mean, what about a name like Kenny Pickett? What about a name like Desmond Ritter? What about all the guys that they say are going to be available late in the first round? Um, you know, a guy like Sam Howell might be there in late in the first round. You know, this might not be the draft that you need that really high pick because a lot of these quarterbacks will drop. So um, there's, I, I guess you could play devil's advocate and you could you could really look at this a lot of different ways. Um, but I I mean, if I'm if I'm in that uh, if I'm in that GM room, I, I'm starting to think about you know what the future and what 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 do I want at the quarterback position and another thing is too is like you know maybe we just want to be one of those teams that rolls with a guy like Tyler Heineke right like we 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 just want to be a team that you know we we don't have a you know Peyton Manning type but we have a we have a quarterback who can you know won't lose games for us and so forth and we can build the rest of our team so um, there's a lot of different options for them but for me for me I, I, I don't add a free agent. Okay, okay, and like you said, you know, maybe they want to go with Heineke. Even Joe Flacco won a Super Bowl, Ed, so uh, Taylor Heineke has shown that he could be the guy, but, you know, I agree with you. I I would like to see them go and get a quarterback, and you made a great point. You don't necessarily have to have a super high pick this year to get some of the better quarterbacks coming in this draft. This is a very deep quarterback class so um i think washington's in a decent position to make to get the guy that they might even want you know but ed i wanted to hop over into a heartbreaking one to say the least the patriots ran all over my cleveland browns i mean it was there's no other way to put it this was the most embarrassing cleveland browns game i have watched since the 0 and 16 and 1 and 15 runs i mean this was pathetic it was pathetic to put it to put it lightly. I have never seen a professional football team struggle so bad to tackle somebody. I'm not exaggerating when I say I maybe saw two tackles that were done on first contact. I'm not joking, and those were sacks. Um, my, and Miles Garrett had one tackle in the backfield on the running back. But other than that, I cannot tell you how many broken tackles happened on Sunday. It was it was pathetic. It was absolutely pathetic, and you saw that the Browns' defense was tired. They wanted to go home. They were defeated, and it's unbelievable to me, unbelievable that you can come off of a game where you score 40-plus points, and your defense plays one of the best man coverage games you've seen out of any football team this year, shutting down Jamar Chase. I mean, Jamar Chase has had his way with anybody, and we locked him up in man coverage, single, one guy on him, and you couldn't do that to the Patriots receiving core? I mean, come on. This this was a, I mean, all across the board, this was a bad game for the Cleveland Browns defense. This was a bad game for the Cleveland Browns offensive line, the receiving core. I can't say this was a bad game on Dearness Johnson because he did what he could do, being the third string running back on this football team. He, I mean, he ran for 86 yards, I believe. I can't, I can't expect him to do more. If you, if the passing game's not going, 86 yards is more than acceptable. Like it, they knew we were going to run it when we ran it. So that's the only person, even even Baker Mayfield, you know, that he needs to just settle down sometimes. Ed, I don't. Ed, what what did you think of this game? I I'm gonna I could ramble on for hours about how, you know, how bad this game was, but I want to see an outsider's view. Well, I I think I think part of the problem was is that Baker Mayfield, uh, you know, was injured was injured to come in with, and then he limped off the field. 
Um, so there's an injury there. I mean, Nick Chubb is on the COVID list. So, I mean, you know, when, when, when two key positions and two key players on your team are out, I mean, you know, that, that puts you at a disadvantage and you know, Bill Belichick is going to exploit that. The other thing is, is that the Patriots scored on all four possessions in the first half. So not a good defensive showing. And that matches what you've been saying. I think just in football, in football, I mean, you know, good teams always have that one game where they're like, "What? What happened?" You know what I'm saying? Like, it just I, I've I've known so many playoff teams since I, I've been watching football pretty much my whole life, and I've seen so many playoff teams. Just one week, it's just like they play an opponent they should beat, or they play in but somebody, and they just we don't know what happened. You know what I'm saying? And that's just. That's just the human error element of of sports, right? Like, you know, any team can beat any team on any given Sunday, right? And I, I also think that just, you know, for whatever reason, I mean, it just... But the fact of the matter is, is that when you don't have your quarterback 100%, when you don't have your running back, I mean, a lot of that Cleveland Brown team is is is, is able to control the clock and run the football, right? I mean, that's that's another aspect of it. And when you don't play defense... Uh, being a running team is very difficult, right? Like you, they kind of go hand in hand. So they didn't, they weren't running on all cylinders. Um, you need to win all three phases. They didn't win all three phases. They didn't win one of the three phases. They didn't show up. But you know, I'm not, I'm not giving up on this Cleveland Browns team. I still think they're the thick in the playoff race. I, I still think Baker can get healthy. I still think Nick Chubb can recover from COVID. And I'm not I'm not ready to throw the baby out with the bathwater like these college guys, like these college boosters. Yeah. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? This is this is what I have to say. You know, I I agree. Everybody has a bad game. Everybody does. You know, even like literally, Tom Brady just lost to Taylor Heineke. It happens. But I've watched every Browns game for the last six years or something like that. You know, and even going back to Kevin Stefanski last year. It's just that the the situational play calls, and I talked about it a, a few weeks ago in the Chargers loss. Kevin Stefanski's situational play call is just awful. It's it's so bad. He's predictable when he can't be, and when you just need to be predictable and execute, he tries to just get too fancy. It's just he's so I like I get it. He's trying to catch them off guard, but at the end of the day, sometimes you just you just need to watch this man. He just. It just doesn't make sense sometimes. It really doesn't. And I will say, the Patriots, they exposed how to beat the Browns. If you can have, like seriously, if you have a legitimate center and guard combo and you can run it up the gut, you're going to have a very, very good chance of competing with the Browns. I, I Seriously, I, every team that's beating beaten us, they've done a very solid job running it up the gut. And the Patriots showed that we don't have really anybody, like we have pass rushers. We have really good pass rushers. You know, the only one that showed up this last week was Miles, but Cleveland has some of the one of the best pass rushing groups in football. Malik McDowell is a great pass rushing defensive tackle, but the dude can't stop the run to save his life. Malik Jackson can't stop the run to save his life, and the Patriots showed that. And it's just it's frustrating because it's not even up against a, a high tier running back. That was a game where you really missed having a guy like Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. And honestly, I think that type of game you missed Kareem Hunt more than you missed. Nick Chubb, because we just could not convert on third down. Ed, we were 1 for 11 on third down conversions. Meanwhile, the Patriots were 7 and 9. So if you're not converting on any third down, yet you're giving every third down conversion up, 
you will lose that game 11 out of 10 times. And we that's, this is exactly what I say when Kevin Stefanski's play calling, uh, situational play calling doesn't make any sense. Like, if it's third and short and we have Kareem Hunt, I know it's predict- it's predictable as heck. We know Kareem Hunt's getting the football, but guess what? We execute every time. And anytime Kareem Hunt's on the field and it's third and short, we get it every single time. But we had no success running it up the gut. It's third and three. Everybody's stacking the box. They know it's a run, and we don't audible out of it to run or to, to do anything else. We run it up the gut and gain no yards. And it's just in a situation like that where you're about to be down maybe three possessions, you just, you just you know, even this, this could be fault on Baker Mayfield for it being, you know, I can tell this defense is ready for whatever we have calling. I need to call something that I think is going to work. Like, there's a fine line where you're the quarterback of this football team. You have some say in what goes on down, you know? I get it. They're, like, Kevin Stefanski's the play caller, but at the end of the day, if true leaders take control when they need to, and, you know, that's, that's kind of something I want to see on this Cleveland Browns team. There's not... I love Baker Mayfield, and I'll defend Baker Mayfield, you know. he get. I don't think there's a, another player that gives the Browns a better chance to win that we can get right now, but he's not been the leader that we need him to be this season, and I get the injuries are really, really hard, and like there's a whole another mental aspect to the game that we don't even have to get into. It's just, it's just there's no leaders on the Cleveland Browns. Nobody's holding each other accountable, and we have Miles Garrett, you know, saying, the coaching staff didn't do what they needed to do. And that's just a problem. Like Super Bowl teams don't have their players calling their coaches out in public. And um, he didn't say anything bad, but I promise you, you'll not, you're not going to see a Super Bowl team calling, calling their coach out. It just doesn't happen. And I, I think that this, you know, loss was really hard on the Browns. And that's why that, you know, the frustration was voiced with the coaching. But this was this is why I'm not scared. I'm not scared because the AFC is so wide open, Ed. Like, I don't know who the guaranteed winner of the AFC is going to be. And I don't think you do either. I don't think anybody in the world knows who's actually going to own the AFC. We could say it's going to be the Bills. We could say it's going to be the Chiefs, even the Ravens. But all of these teams have lost to really bad teams as well. And they've also beaten really good teams. And we're all, all of these teams are sitting relatively close to a 500 record. So this is this is wide open for the Browns taking. And I just I would love to see these just the problems that we have each and every week be fixed. If if I can see these situational errors be fixed and we lose games, so be it. We lost cuz we got outplayed, but I'm sick and tired of seeing the Browns lose to the same reason over and over and over. But at the end of the day, Ed, it's not over for the Cleveland Browns. I'm just I'm just a little salty about this one, so I had to get my frustrations out. One actually one other thing I got to put in clean up the penalties. No other team in the NFL gets hurt more by penalties and it's not even close than the Cleveland Browns. So you just have to play cleaner football. I would like to see this team more focused and I think that they still have a shot to get into that wild card, Ed. I'm going to I'm going to trust your judgment. I I I just want to go back to uh your comment about the AFC wide open and yeah, it it is it is very true. I mean, it's like I, I have no idea who the odds on favorite is. If you're if you're a gambling type and you're trying to pick a futures bet on the AFC, I mean I I, I honestly could say like ten teams. I mean I could say you can you could say the Raiders have played really good this year. You could say the Chiefs, you know, with Patrick Mahomes has stepped up of late. You could say the Ravens have been one of the prime teams. You could say Joe Burrow and you know the Bengals could get together. Uh, you know. You could say the Browns. I mean, the Browns are, 
you know, have, have the talent. Uh, you know, Mac Jones has looked really good for the Patriots. You know, they know how to win in the playoffs. I mean, you can make an argument for the Bills and what Josh Allen's done. So really, yeah, I mean, you look around and I'm sorry if I missed your team, you know, obviously, you know, Tennessee, I mean, Tennessee is probably, if I had to pick one of the, one of the favorites, I would say Tennessee, um, so yeah, there's there's a lot of different options, and this this could go a lot of different ways. And yeah, I mean, if you're an AFC fan, I mean, you know, the, the, this these next seven weeks are gonna be are gonna be key. You know, it's gonna go down to December, January football, as it always does. Yeah, I mean, this is you know, get your popcorn ready. Absolutely, Ed. I'm I'm so excited for this AFC race. Like, I seriously, I don't remember a time that an entire conference has been so open so it's it's oh I just love to see competitive football again we don't it's we reached that point in the NFL where we don't know who's gonna win it every year and it's just awesome man I love it I love it but um another thing that I love and I'm sure every NFL fan in the world loves Cam Newton is back baby he's back with the Carolina Panthers and in his first game his first two snaps Ed Two snaps, two touchdowns. I mean, I love this for Cam, man. I I am so happy for him. Um, you could you could see how excited he was. And what is what is how good is this for Cam Newton and the Panthers organization, Ed? Well, I mean, this is a stopgap. I mean, this is you know, I mean, if you're a if you're a Carolina Panthers fan and you're a Cam Newton fan, you know, this is your chance to go see go see Cam Newton again in a in a Panthers uniform. But I'm not I'm not. I don't have these grandiose expectations of the Carolina Panthers going to the playoffs or going to the Super Bowl with Cam Newton. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I just, from a respect standpoint and, you know, seeing seeing prime Cam while growing up and everything, it's it's just awesome to see him get that opportunity because um, we know how hard of a how hard of a worker Cam Newton is, how good of a person Cam Newton is. It's it's good to see him get this opportunity again. And I'll say this, though, too. I, I love how the Panthers aren't throwing him in as QB1. They're doing the the dual the dual complementary quarterbacks and they have a very comp him and PJ Walker have a very complementary skill set from one another. Um PJ Walker, he can move around still, but the dude can throw it on a line. I mean, that dude has got some serious zip on his ball. Meanwhile, Cam Newton brings you the huge physical presence where he's that, you know, dual threat on the goal line. Either, you know, he he ran one in and he threw one in on two plays. So you don't know what Cam Newton can give you in that red zone. Um, and like you said, I'm not expecting this to be, oh my gosh, Cam Newton's going to lead them to the playoffs. Uh, it's it's not going to happen. It's just not. But for Panthers fans, this has got to be awesome. You know, I, I bet y'all were getting very frustrated watching Sam Darnold play. And I've, I've always been a fan of PJ Walker. You know, even going back to XFL, I loved watching PJ Walker there. So I'm glad that he's gotten another opportunity with the Panthers. I, I really... I get it. This is not a quarterback room that's going to win you much. I honestly, I like what they have right now better than what they have with Sam Darnold. And I get it's one game, but you can see just, you know, Robbie Anderson maybe being the biggest one. You could see how different the just the team felt on the sideline with Cam back. Like Cam, I, I saw countless videos this week of Cam just, you know, having a great time on the sideline. And I think just overall, this is so good for the Panthers organization so they don't get down on themselves because... That was kind of the problem with Sam Darnold in New York. He didn't have that, like, leadership personality. He's just not that guy, you know? He doesn't have a big, loud personality. He's just kind of, 
you know, come in and do my job. But Cam Newton is that guy that's going to get every single last person hyped on the sideline. And the Panthers' recent struggles, I think that's that you couldn't have done anything better as the Panthers organization than bringing Cam Newton back. Yeah, and I, I think I, I don't think PJ Walker is going to be uh, this, you know, playing much as as a, uh, after a few games. I think. Um, you know, he'll be the number two. I think really the rest of the year, this is going to be Cam Newton's job. Perfectly content with that. I, I love to see Super Cam back and, you know, hopefully, hopefully can prove all the doubters wrong this, this second time around. But, you know, Ed, the Kansas City Chiefs, did they figure it out? They, I mean, I, I don't want to, I don't want to jump the gun, but dang, Mahomes looked like Mahomes again. I, I, I think the offense, I, I get it's just one game. But with how talented that offense was, you knew they were going to get back and, you know, they were going to get it under control eventually. I still, though, am concerned about the defense. I get they held they held a very, very hot Raiders team to 14 points. But, you know, that's that's one game. Everybody has a good defensive game. I mean, we saw we, we've seen it all across the league this year. And I just I'm still not ready to say that the Chiefs, oh, they're they're fully back. You know, they're they're going to rule this AFC West. I would like to see a few more games with that defense, you know, holding its own. They were able to get an interception off of Derek Carr, but at the same time, you know, Derek Carr was still 25 of 35, 260 yards and two touchdowns. So it's it wasn't, you know, the, the air attack was not horrible. The run defense really impressed me this week. I mean, I, I get they didn't have that many attempts. They had, what, like 11 to 13 carries or something like that. You do that, though, when you realize... You've been defeated at the line of scrimmage. You know, once you're like, we're not, I mean, and Josh Jacobs is no slouch of a running back. Like, you're not just not going to completely abandon the run. That proves that, hey, we know we're not going to get this run game going, so we're just not going to do it. And that is a huge improvement for the Chiefs, and I would like to see that for weeks coming forward. Yeah, I mean, the you know, with every superstar, they have their, their, their down times. I mean, you go... You go baseball. I mean, Derek Jeter. You know, he, he. You know, he. He had his slumps, right? Baseball players. You know, Kobe Bryant had down years. You know, every every great athlete has their down years. So, um, you know, for for Mahomes to have a basically like a five or six game slide early in a in a season, um, it, it is what it is. And I mean, it's impressive that he he was able to minimize it and. Now he's at the top of the division, and really he has the keys to keys to the AFC if he wants to. You know what I mean? If he the the AFC is ripe for the taking for him, and so he can take it. He can take it. Um, you know, it seems like they figured out some things on the defensive side of the ball. Um, so yeah, I, the Chiefs are uh, they're, they're in a better they're in a better position, and maybe we got to get Ed Easton on uh, and talk more about um, you know get him in a better mood and. Uh, talk about what's what's gone right. Absolutely, I think this is this this was a very very big bounce back game for Mahomes, and we said it a couple of weeks ago um, when we were talking about the Chiefs' defensive struggles. And you know, Mahomes had a point where he was struggling pretty bad, and he had that turnover problem. But all great quarterbacks do it; they hit that you know kind of you know roadblock. But how do they how do they respond? And Mahomes showed that. He's going to respond with, a, you know, a huge game. So great, great for him to, you know, pull pull himself and the Chiefs out of that. You know, quite honestly, the the back half of their their uh, schedule, it's it's pretty tough. 
it's pretty tough, but they still can win. I mean, they're lucky because a lot of their division matchups are still ahead of them. I mean, they still have to play Denver twice. They have the Chargers one more time, and they have the Raiders one more time. I, I could see them sweeping Denver, you know, get that other one on the Chargers, and then who's to say that the Raiders don't get one on them because they, they find a way to do it every year. But, I mean, if you win three out of four of those games and then you manage to, you know, rally over the Steelers and Bengals, you're, you're, you're finishing kind of where you expected them to. You know, the, you just were kind of expecting the losses to be more branched out and not expecting them to see sitting around 500 at the first half of the season. But they're now sitting in an opportunity to, with how their schedule is set up, how their divisional matchups are set up, they have a legitimate chance to just run away with this AFC West right now. And it's crazy how fast this has turned around because two or three weeks ago, we were saying it's wide open for everybody. And the Chiefs, I mean, the Chiefs were at the bottom of the division like three weeks ago. Now they're back on top. So that that's just another, it just proves how crazy this AFC is this year, let alone the AFC West. I, I really think that this could be and probably will be the Chiefs division for the taking at this point. Ed, I wanted to thank you so much for your time on another episode of Blitzcast. I had a fantastic time, my friend. I'm excited to see where the AFC takes us next week. I I really don't know what to expect. I don't know what to expect out of the Browns. I don't know what to expect out of the Chiefs. You know what, Ed? I don't know what to expect out of most of these teams, but I'm just here for the ride, and I'm enjoying it. Ed, thank you so much for taking your time to be on the show today, my friend. It's been great. Awesome. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and I hope you have a great rest of your day.